Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Just a moment. We'll be reading in that text. Let's thank our musicians again for leading us this morning. A great job. We have been in a series called As For Me and My House. And what we're saying is, regardless of what the culture does, we're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to study it. We're going to memorize it and try our best to obey it. We're also going to pray because we believe that when we pray, things happen that would not happen if we don't pray. And we're going to thirdly fellowship with Christians. We're not going to forsake our assembling together. We're going to encourage one another and so much the more as we see the day of Jesus' return approaching. So we're going to read the Bible, take in Scripture. We're going to pray and we're going to fellowship with other Christians. And then fourthly today, we're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to share the gospel. Paul was a gospel-sharing machine. He got saved. He immediately started preaching. There are some people that think Paul waited for three years uh, in uh, the desert until he preached. He did not. You go read the book of Acts. The minute he got saved, he started telling people about Jesus. And Galatians 1 does not contradict that at all. But Jesus used him so powerfully that he even used him in other cultures. And so Paul started feeling that he needed to go outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, and to go to other nations and share the gospel. And he went out. He went to a place called Philippi. They had revival. He got arrested. And then they had a riot. And then he was run out of town. He went from there to Thessalonica. And they had revival. They had a church planted. Got run out of town. Went to a place called Berea. The Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And many of them were converted to Christ, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. He left from there. And when he left Berea, he came down to Athens. When he came to Athens, he was disturbed in his spirit because he saw all the idolatry around that city that was somewhat of the epicenter of paganism in that day. It was the apex of people who were intelligent at one time, but it had drifted away from that. It had lost a little bit of its, its uh, intellectualism. It was still a place of people who were philosophers. They gathered there. And Paul, in a completely pagan setting, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he did it with great grace and, I would say, effectiveness. A lot of people say Paul didn't really go over very well in Athens. I got news for you. Considering that he was in a completely pagan culture, if anybody got saved, I think it's a good way to share your time and that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this to you. The reason I chose this text is because we live in a culture in America now that is much like the Athenian culture. We live in a culture today where people, and I'm not insulting anybody, but a lot of people in our culture don't know the Bible. They are what some refer to as biblically illiterate. I'm going to share with you some facts momentarily that Ed Stetzer wrote for Lifeway Research that shares about just six years ago how many Christians don't know their Bible and don't read their Bible. Some proclaiming Christians, now listen to this, a huge amount never read their Bible. One out of five people that go to church say they never read their Bible. So we are a culture, even among Christians, that are biblically illiterate. And I want to say this to you. My mother had a 10th grade education, not because she was dumb, but because she grew up in the, the depression. I started to say the oppression, and it was oppressive. She grew up in the depression 
capital D back in the 30s, and she had to go to work in the 10th grade. She was earning her own living in the 10th grade. Can you even fathom that? She was brilliant. She just didn't graduate from high school. And my mother read all the time. She read the Bible all the time. And my mother didn't have a high school education, but my mother knew the Bible as well or better than a lot of preachers I know. So you don't have to have some great list of degrees to understand the Bible. You can be biblically literate, whether you have even graduated from high school. You just got to live in the Word and let the Word live in you. And the more you do it, the more addicted you get to the Scripture. And I mean addiction in a good way. And so Paul is sharing with people who don't know anything about what he's talking about, and yet he gives them the gospel. Aren't you glad that we can do that even with people that don't know anything about God? That's why I chose this text. Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who has made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist or have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. It's not like some idol made by human hands, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, now he just lays it on the line. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, because it's talking about Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Others said, we will hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom, and believed among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let's pray together. Father, I bless you and praise you for your word. I thank you that Jesus Christ is Lord over this service. Jesus Christ is in total authority over this service. And nothing will happen in this service in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that is in any way related to the enemy. We bind every strong man in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you agree with me right there? How many of you? We, we bind every strong man. Every strong man that would try to disrupt, every strong man that would try to interrupt, you are bound and you cannot move in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through his shed blood by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you will plunder that property, plunder that house and send your warrior angels right now, dear God, and protect us. And Lord, loose in this place the fire and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and touch our lives. And let us share the gospel of Jesus Christ this week like we've never done it before. In Jesus' name, and if that's your prayer, say amen. amen. Let's just jump into it. If you're going to share the gospel, you've got to learn to connect politely. You can't be mean and share the gospel. Everybody say, I don't want to be mean. Everybody say that. And <laughs> some of y'all didn't say it. I guess you want to be mean. All right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Got to connect politely. Can't be mean. Look at verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Paul came to Athens and he was waiting on his buddies to get there and he was going to minister to them. But while he was waiting on them, he was just walking through the town. He was very observant and he looked at all the pagan 
objects of idolatry. The Bible says he was just taking it and it started to simmer in him. He, he didn't like what he saw. He was, he was upset. And so he just goes down to the Agora. He goes down to the marketplace and he's just going to witness to anybody that comes up. And all of a sudden these philosophers come up and they said, what is this guy who's putting scraps of truth together? That's what the Greek says. I mean, he's just putting little truth straps together and he's just talking. What is this guy talking about? And they listened to him and said, oh, and some of them really got intrigued with what he's saying, talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus. And so they take him up to the top of Mars Hill or the Areopagus, it's a hard word to say, and they go up there, and when they go up there, he is surrounded by the most brilliant men in all of Athens. And Athens was a place of many brilliant men. Paul didn't mind sharing the gospel at what we would call the mall. He didn't mind sharing it on the streets, but he sure didn't mind sharing it at the place where the PhD guys stood out. He goes up there. I've been on that hill twice, Mars Hill, the Areopagus. And he shared the gospel and he did it politely. I love Paul. Whenever he goes to a synagogue, he connects with the Jews through scripture. Whenever he goes to the pagans, whenever he goes to the Gentiles, he connects by starting with the fact that there is a God who created the universe. And then he goes on down to the gospel later on, but he connects with people. You know why? Because anybody will tell you if you're going to connect with people, you don't just need to know your lesson, your subject, you need to try to know the people as well. You need to know a little bit about the crowd that you're talking to. And Paul knew this is not a bunch of Jews like Peter had on the day of Pentecost that had studied the Bible since they were little children. These people don't know anything about scripture. They are wrapped, they are wrapped up in paganism, all this idolatry. So he just is as kind to them as he can be. Oh, I tell you, he modeled what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, for though I'm free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all that I may gain or win the more. To the Jews, I became like a Jew so that I might gain or win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might gain those who are under the law or win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ so that I might gain or win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain or win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that I may by all means save some. And he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I can't say that, I wish I could. I don't do everything I do for the sake of the gospel, but Paul did. I do everything I do for the sake of the gospel. Why? So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. I want to see people get saved. And so I'm going to adapt myself. I'm not going to change the message, but I'm going to adapt my approach. When I get to somebody and they don't know the word of God, I'm going to start with them in baby steps. I'm going to be kind to them and polite to them. He had Epicurean philosophers who were all wrapped up with pleasure. They wanted what human life could give them. They wanted what worldly matters could give them. They, were, they didn't believe in, really in God. They, they were, many of them were atheists, but they, they, they said if there is a God, he's not really identifying with us. He's not really intricately involved in our day-to-day -day happenings. And they were always about seeking pleasure, the Epicureans. We've got a lot of those living today in our days. <laughs> And then also they had Stoic philosophers. The word Stoa is the word colonnade. And there was this guy named Zeno that used to teach at the colonnade and the, the Stoic there. And then, so they said, we're Stoics. And they believed in reason. So you've got these philosophers who are Stoics, who are rational and they're very intellectual. They're both intellectual, but they're, they, they base everything on they believe in reason. They did believe in gods, but they believed that there were so many of them. There was not just one true God. So, so Paul walks into this whole mix of philosophy, some loving pleasure, some loving reason, and some believing in God, some not believing in God. He goes into a, a pagan culture, a lot like the culture in which we live, and he shares the gospel politely. Notice it, say, it says in verse 22, he stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects for while I was passing through and examining the objects to your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Notice how polite he is. He said, men of Athens. He, he doesn't say, well, you bunch of heathens. He didn't start off like that. He, he said, men of Athens. He said, oh, you, you're, you're men from a great city. He was bragged on their city. I observe that you're very religious in all aspects. I mean, this place is religious. I, I've been walking around. Boy, you guys are religious. 
I was passing through. I examined the objects of your worship. I was paying attention. A lot of great uh, marble things around here, pieces of art, beautiful. He was connecting with them. And, and while I was out there, he said in verse 30, 23, at the end of it, he said, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. <laughs> they had so many gods. They said, you know what? Maybe we left one out. So let's just make a statue for one that we don't know so that we won't miss anybody. Paul said, I, I came to this statue and I, I thought, well, there's a, a, a statue to an unknown God. And then he turns it. I love it. Paul can do it, man. He said, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. You don't know who this God is, but I do. And I want to tell you in love about the real God, this unknown God, this God that you don't know. He's not like all these idols out here. Oh, no, no, no. I proclaim him to you. He knew that he could never correct false ideas until he connected with the people who had those false ideas. Now, how can we do that in our day? How do you connect with people? I mean, how do you go to the university and, and talk to somebody that says they don't believe in God? How do you talk to somebody out on the street in the agora, in the marketplace? How do you talk to somebody that doesn't believe in God? How do you talk to a neighbor that doesn't believe in God? I'll tell you how I would start. I would say this, do you mind if I ask you a question? Like when I'm at a restaurant, I wanna pray for the waitress, I say, do you mind if I ask you a question? I, I try to get their permission. Now, to be frank with you, it's already too late because when I ask them the question, do you mind if I ask you a question, I've already asked them a question. <laughs> I don't know how to get around that. So just, I'm not trying to be hypocritical. I'm just saying though, do you, I should say, do you mind if I ask you another question? <laughs> I won't start that though. And usually they say, that's fine. And I don't say, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I usually start like this. Do you go to church anywhere? I just try to turn it just a tad. Do you ever go to church? And a lot of times people just start talking. Well, I used to go to church. I don't go to church anymore. I go to church sometimes. Uh, what church do you go to? Da, 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 da. And then I share my testimony. So I ask them about church and I share my testimony. You know, you, what are you going to do about somebody telling you their testimony? What is your testimony? What it was like before you knew Jesus, how you met Jesus, and now what life is like after you know Jesus. Before, when you met him, and what life's after. So I just say, you know, uh, I, I went to church when I was growing up. It didn't mean a lot to me when I was growing up. When I got in college, I was playing football, a little school up here called UT Martin. Some guys knew the Lord and I just go through my testimony and they invited me to church and I heard about Jesus and I wanted to get saved and I prayed to receive Christ and, and, and that changed my life. And in that, I am sharing the gospel. But it's, it's, it's really neat how God can take from somebody that doesn't know anything and you can just be polite to them and before you know it, you're sharing the gospel. It's not hard. It's not just for preachers. It's for anybody, but you got to be nice. You got to connect politely. I want to give you a verse, Proverbs 16, 21. The wise in heart will be called understanding and look at the last part of this verse. It's kind of hard to say. It's some big words there, but listen to this. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Is that not one of the sweetest words? Look at Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Now, you say it with me. Now, I know, you know, you're going to choke on a couple of these words. They're kind of long, but say it with me now. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. If you want to persuade people, you got to be nice. You can't be mean. You can't be ornery. You can't go around putting everybody in their place. Oh, but I have the gift of prophecy. No, you have the gift of being mean is what you have. Prophets wept. Jeremiah wept. Don't you come thundering in here. I got a word from God. Boom! Bunch of heathens. No, that's not the way it works. You got to be nice to people. Okay, I think I've worn that one out. 
Did I connect politely on connecting politely? <laughs> okay. Number two, when you share the gospel, you need to begin with creation. Totally different thought process than what we did 40 years ago when I learned evangelism. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with human hands. God does not dwell in buildings like this. You say, now wait a minute, I've heard you say the Lord is here. I understand what we say by that, and, and, and I mean by that the manifest presence of God is here, but the only reason he's here is because we have gathered in his name. And what he's saying is God is bigger than these buildings. God created the universe. How can we capture him in a building? Your body is the temple of the living God if you're redeemed, if you know the Lord. Most of these Epicureans didn't even believe in a creator. If they did, he wasn't involved in anybody's life. The Stoics said, we believe in many gods, but they differed regarding creation. So Paul says, there's a God who is a creator. He goes all the way back to Genesis. God made everything in the world, all things in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. So how could he, how could he possibly dwell in a building made by human hands. No way. Verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands. Do what? And there, let, me, let me just say, why, why did that bother them? Because all the time they were using their hands like people overseas in many countries, they burn incense to their gods. They're using their hands all day, putting flowers out there, putting things before God, burning things before God and all that. With all due respect, that's not biblical worship. You don't need to do that. Your incense is your prayers, according to the New Testament. Not served by human hands as though he needed anything. God is totally sufficient. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. You don't give anything to God to earn his blessings. God gives everything to you. Even your breath. All things. And then he says... God is not only the creator who made everything from one man, contrary to what both the Epicureans and the Stoics believe, but God is intricately involved in every aspect of human affairs. Look at verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now watch this having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. I want to stop here on verse 26. God made from one man, that's Adam, as in Adam and Eve, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Who made Italy? God. Who made America? God. Who made Israel? God. Who made Russia? God. Who made Turkey? God. Who made Iran? God. Who made China? God. God made every nation. Who will eventually terminate those nations? God. How long will it be? We don't know. That's God's business. How many of you believe what I just said? That's exactly what that verse says. Amen. I want to say this to you. I'm patriotic. I love our country, but I, I got news for you. God is not an American. Now, don't get mad at me what I'm about to say. I get all inspired by the national anthem, but God doesn't. You okay? God loves other countries just like he loves America. God started America. God will end America. America won't last forever. China won't last forever. God started it. God will take it away when God's ready. He said, I don't like that. Well, then cut that verse out of your Bible. Because that's what he said. He has determined their appointed times. There's no way that can't mean he started them, he will finish them. 
When God's done with America, America will be gone. When God's done with every country except Israel, God promises he's not doing away with Israel. I'm going to say this to you. Don't mess with Israel. (laughs) God has determined these times so we can trust his sovereign, divine plan and seek first his kingdom. I'm going to love my country. I pray for my nation every day. Thank God for it. But I want to tell you something. Above my nation, I'm going to love the kingdom of God and the king of the nation, of the of that kingdom. I'm going to love Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my ultimate allegiance will always be to King Jesus and his kingdom. That's where I'm going to love. That's the kingdom I'm going to love. So rulers come and go. God's on the throne. We can trust his sovereign divine plan and seek first his kingdom. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having to turn their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Verse 27, that they would seek God. That's why God creates nations, that they might seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him, Paul's going to show his intelligence. He's going to quote two pagan philosophers in one verse, verse 28. In him, here he quotes him, we live and move and exist or have our being. That's Epimenides. That's a hard word to say of Crete. And then he quotes Aratus. He said, even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. And these people, these Greeks were referring to Zeus. He said, no, they're referring to God, but God is not Zeus. God is not the God that the Greeks say. Rather, it's our God, Yahweh, the God of creation. And then he concludes by saying that they should recognize that the one true God is not like their idols. Look at verse 29. Being the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the thought of man. He's rooted in Scripture, but he's playing with their philosophical ideas. And he says, God is our creator. And he knew that if he, give, if he got that foundation, he could go on and say, and his Savior, his Son, has been given to be our Redeemer. So just like Paul's listeners, a lot of people in America today, they don't believe in God. If you go out on the streets of America, I remember one time I I went up to a girl and she was reading a book on witchcraft. I said, why in the world would you read a book on witchcraft? Probably not the best way to introduce a conversation, but it just came out of me. How many of you ever say something before you even thought about it? Please raise your hand. All right. It just came out of my mouth. We were going to a restaurant. She's standing out there on the steps reading a book on witchcraft. Here was her answer. Why would I not? I said, because Jesus Christ is Lord over every witch and every demonic spirit behind witchcraft. Now, I don't know if that was the best way to witness to the girl or not, but I just laid it down. There are people who are into all kinds of isms nowadays in America. And there are some people that don't care about any of it. They're into just atheism. They they say, I don't want anything to do with it. All that religion stuff, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to live die, bury me. I'll be, you know, fertilizer for the plants. That's what they think. But they don't know that there is a God who created them, who wants to know them. Lifeway research found that 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Only 40, not even half of the people that come to church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. Almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. That's in America. And we wonder why 
millions of people are not turning to Christ. We've got to start with the Creator. We've got to tell them that God created the universe. God created the world. He created Adam and Eve. They sinned. Sin came into the world. Then God chose a man named Abraham. His grandson was Jacob. God turned his name into Israel. He took his 12 sons. Out of them would be the nation of Israel. Out of the nation Israel came the Messiah, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, free from a sinful nature, tempted in all ways, never gave in to temptation, never sinned. And Jesus Christ went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. And in Christ, we can be saved if we'll repent and turn to Christ and receive him. But you've got to start all the way back with creation. You've got to go all the way through, begin with creation because people don't believe in God. Okay, number three, share the gospel. Look at verses 30 and 31. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The gospel focuses on a man whom God has appointed, Jesus Christ. Notice Paul gave a gospel invitation. He said, everybody, everybody's invited. (laughs) Aren't you glad when God invites people, he invites everyone? How many of you ever got your feelings hurt because you didn't get invited to something? Anybody out there? I got my hand up. I remember one time a buddy of mine was having a roller skate party. I mean, I could almost feel my roller skates on my feet, but he didn't invite me. He never called me. Broke my little heart. I got over it, though. But aren't you glad that God invites us all? He says in verse 30, he said, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere, say those words with me, all people everywhere should repent. I want to say this to you. If God tells you everybody to repent, look at me, then anybody can repent. God wouldn't say, Okay, I command you to repent, but some of you can't do it, so too bad. No. If God says all people everywhere are supposed to repent, then all people everywhere have the capacity to repent, or else God is not doing right. And God does right. Amen? So, all people are invited. Notice the gospel requirement. All people must repent. Look at verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. What is that? Turning. Turning. Now, I want to say this to you. There's a lot of people that want to go to heaven, but there's not. Some of those people that want to go to heaven, they don't want to go to hell, but they don't want God to mess with their lives. They don't want him telling them what to do. They won't have to give up their sin. Well, now, I'll I'll follow the Lord, but I'm holding on to my pornography. Well, I'll follow the Lord, but I'll hold on to my racism. Well, I'll follow the Lord, but I gotta gotta hold on to this relationship over here. I'm living with this person. I'm supporting this person. I can't give them up. Yes, we're being immoral, but God understands. Yeah, he understands. I'll tell you what he understands. He understands you need to move out. You need to repent. Because when you repent, you don't just say, I admit it. You say, I'm going to quit it. Some of y'all need to repent. You need to quit the sin that's come between you and God. Jesus said twice in Luke 13, once in verse 3, once in verse 5, He said, no, I tell you, verse 3, this is Luke 13, verse 3, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And he says the same exact thing. I have people say, sometimes you repeat yourself when you preach. Well, so did Jesus. Two verses later in verse 5 in chapter 13, he says the same thing, word for word. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What does that mean? Unless you repent, 
you're going to perish. I don't care who you are. You'll all likewise perish. If you don't repent, you don't go to heaven. If you don't repent, you go to hell. It's what the Bible says. It's what Jesus said. You got to repent. You got to turn from your sins. You got to say, God, I can't promise you I'll never sin again, but I can promise you I don't want to. I turn from this. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. I don't want to live like I've been living. I want to live like a changed person. Peter said to the people who were lost in Jerusalem, Acts 3, 19 and 20, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped or washed away in, time, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed you. So you, that's the gospel requirement. Everybody's got to repent if you're going to be saved. And then gospel urgency, judgment's coming. We need to, to say, you know what? We need to get with the program. We, we, judgment is on its way. Verse 31 says, because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through Jesus, through a man whom he has appointed. He said, well, I believe when you die, you just stop existing. That's wrong. You're wrong. That's wrong. What you said is wrong. You don't quit living when you die. When you die. No, I, I did a funeral yesterday. I'm doing a funeral this afternoon. Listen to me. You die, you don't die. <laughs> your soul and your spirit keep on living. And one of these days, God's going to raise your body back up in a resurrected state. So death just means you don't breathe on this earth, but you continue to live through eternity. Where are you going to live in eternity? He said, well, I don't believe in that. So what? God believes in it. And it's the truth. Not so what that I don't care. I'm just saying, just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not there. Eternity's out there on the other side of your last breath. And you know something about death? Everybody's going to experience it should Jesus come. Unless Jesus comes. He's going to judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. You say, well, I, I believe that if you, you die, you automatically go to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. He said, few are they that find that gate. Few are they that enter therein. You say, well, I believe that you got another chance. I believe in purgatory. I believe that I'm going to have my sins purged out when I get on the other side, I'm going to go to purgatory. Purgatory is not in the Bible. That is a lie. When you die, you're going to stand before judgment. God's appointed a day for judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, as destined for people to die once, and after that comes judgment. So you need gospel urgency. People are dying, and they're going to Find out that judgment is coming when they die. And then there's got to be gospel content. You got to share that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead if you're going to share the gospel. That is the good news. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life. That is good news. Verse 31, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And even though he doesn't talk specifically about the death of Christ, you can't have a resurrection without the death. So death is implied there. Paul shares the gospel, just like he shared it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, I want to say this to you. I hear people saying all the time, I'm having gospel conversations. Well, tell me about your gospel conversation. And there's nothing in there about Jesus' atoning death, and there's nothing in there about his bodily resurrection. With all due respect, you're not having a gospel conversation just because you talk about God. You have a gospel conversation if you have a gospel presentation, if you share with them the good news that somebody named Jesus died for your sins on the cross, paid your penalty, you don't have to pay it, and then God buried him. But here's the good news, God raised him from the dead. I wanna say this to you, if you don't share about a bloody cross and an empty tomb, you've not had a legitimate gospel conversation. You got to talk about the cross and the resurrection. So that's sharing the gospel. If we're going to share Jesus in this day, we got to connect politely. We got to begin with creation. We got to share the gospel. And then we got to ex expect a response. And quickly, I'll give them three of them to you. Response number one, you ready for this? Gonna bless your heart. 
rejection. You say, I'm just blessed so much, Brother Steve. Thank you so much. Hey, look, if you can't handle rejection, you're not going to be able to be a soul winner. Now, when they heard this, verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. I've had people, when I was preaching, look at me and sneer. That will bless you as you're in the pulpit. I had one guy in one of my churches. I always knew what time it was in my service, I, in my sermon. I always knew how far along I was. Look at me. If it, if it, he, I always went to sleep during my service. If, if his head was here, it was the first point. If his head was here, it was the second point. If his head was all the way down here, it was the third point. I've had all kinds of reactions. I've had people walk out. I've had people get up, holler and hoop. <laughs> you preach a long time, brother, you see a lot. But I've had people sneer. And look at me. They're not sneering at me. They're sneering at God. They're thumbing their nose at God. Who does God think he is telling me what to do? Well, he only gave you life. He's only kept you alive. You're the only reason he, you're here. He's the only reason you're here. I say you owe him a lot. Then there'll be rejection, but there'll also be reticence. I've seen this, man, people waiting. I, I, I know that I need to get, I know I need to talk about that, but I'm not ready. I've had people 85 years old say, you know, preacher, let's don't talk about that. I'm not ready. Man, when you're 85, what are you talking about? You're not ready. You don't have much time left. You're not ready. You're 85. How old you got to be before you get ready? I got news for you. If you're 15, you need to be ready. You don't know how long you're going to live. I had two buddies in high school. One of them drowned. One of them got shot. They were both in hunting accidents. Don't tell me that you're going to live forever. You don't know how long you're going to live. Listen, none of us have Five seconds promised to us. <laughs> Reticence, putting it off. The brothers, we shall hear you about concerning this. We'll hear, hear you again about this. So just put them off. That's two responses. But I like the last one. And this is why I keep doing it. Reception. Look at verses 33 and 34. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Some among, among whom were also Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Hey, look at me just a second. I'm almost through. Look at me. The win is not when somebody gets saved. The win in evangelism is sharing the gospel. The win is not, you can't make the win when somebody gets saved. You can only make the win sharing the gospel. If I share the gospel, I did what I was supposed to do. And then it's up to them and the Lord. If they get saved, wonderful. If they say, not now, wait, not much I can do about that. If they sneer at me, not on me, it's on them. But I did the right thing. I shared the gospel. That's the win. Same thing, if, if you exercise, eat below your calorie limit, and you get up the next day and you've gained a tenth of a pound, that's not a loss. The win was you did the process. You did the right thing. And look at me, you keep doing the right thing every day Day after day after day, you're going to get good results. Don't worry about that. Don't focus on the win all the time being the outcome. Focus on the process, doing the right thing. And I promise you, everything will take care of itself. That's a good lesson in life. So my goal is not just to win people. My goal is to share the gospel. And to do it politely. And to do it coherently to do it in a way that they can understand. Man, if they come from a church background, I can start with Jesus, let's go for it. If they come from a 
non-church background, let's go all the way back to creation. Let's talk about testimonies. Let's get some testimonies. Let's get some good, good life images in there. But let's always head to a bloody cross and an empty tomb and tell them they need to repent. Because if you don't repent, you don't get saved. How many of you are with me today? Anybody out there? My son is a preacher in Murfreesboro. I pray with him every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. Always pray with him. Call him this morning. He's preaching away, man. He's got it going on. And he is seeing people get saved almost every week in Murfreesboro. But there was a time when that was not the case. There was a time when Grant was so concerned, Brother Drew, about being guilty of easy believism, making it too easy that they really didn't get saved. And we all want it to be legitimate if somebody gets saved, right? And we want it to be legitimate. We want it to be real. So we don't want to make it so easy that they don't really understand the gospel. They're just mouthing some words or something. We want them to really be sincere in what they're doing. So for a while there, when he was at another church, he was there about eight years. They just didn't see hardly anybody get saved. The first six years, maybe four or five people got saved a year, baptized, hardly anybody. And so he was, at, at the end of his sixth year, he was said, I'm going to lead this guy to the Lord, I hope. And he spends eight weeks talking to the guy about Christ, walks him through the whole thing. The guy prays to receive Christ. I said, yes, a real convert. Two months later, the guy was gone. He never saw him again. And Grant quoted a Greek word, rats. And then he read something in Matthew 13. It's a parable of Jesus. It's probably the most famous parable of Jesus gave. We call it the parable of the sower. I don't think that's the what we, we ought to call it the parable of the soils. Because Jesus said, the sower went out to sow. Now just think about it. That's, the, that's us. That's the Christian. We're all sowers. And you got to go out to sow. You, you can't just sow just in your little bubble. You got to go out and find the lost people and share Jesus. You got to sow. Now, when you sow, the seed's going to land on four different kinds of soils. First of all, hard soil, like this right here. I'm going to sow some seed. Someone's going to hit here on the, on the roadside, and the birds are going to pick it up. And Jesus said, that's what happens when you sow the seed. And before it can penetrate somebody's heart, the devil comes along and takes it away. Second type of soil is shallow soil. And it hits the ground, and it Looks like it's going to flourish and everything, but there's no root there. Sun comes along, withers it up, it's dead. That's people that look like they get saved, but there's no root, and so there's no fruit. And when there's any persecution at all, they just fade away. They're not really saved. They, they mouth it with their lips, but they don't really get saved. There's no evidence that they ever got saved. There's no fruit. Second soil. Third soil hits the ground, starts to try to grow, and then the thorns choke it out. He said, that's the... The love of the world, the love of things, choke out the Word of God. So those first three soils are illegitimate. They're not real fruit. Seed fell on there, but then Jesus said, now if you keep on sowing, you're going to hit eventually the good soil. And then he said something miraculous. There's going to be an amazing, miraculous Harvest. You're going to see a harvest of a hundredfold or 60 or 40. The average harvest for seed sown and crops that were reaped was sevenfold. Jesus said, if you do it my way, 
You share the gospel, I'll show you how powerful the God. Every person listening that day would have known that he was saying, it's gonna be a miraculous harvest if you will just share the gospel, just hang in there. That seed, man, that seed of the gospel is powerful. It can change anybody. It can change a Satanist. It can change a witch. It can change a non-believer. It can change an atheist. That seed can change a drunkard. That seed can change anybody out there who is in sexual depravity. That seed can change a communist or anybody else that doesn't believe in God. I'm telling you, that seed, oh, that seed, it can give a hundredfold blessing. You'll just share it. Grant said, Daddy, he said, I looked at that and I'd made up my mind. It's not my job. It's not my job to see the plant come up. It's my job to sow the seed. And he started going door to door, knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. People started getting saved. They started baptizing 50, 60, 70 people a year. Church heard about him in Nashville. Said, hey, we want that guy to come be our pastor. He's up there now. That church is about three or four times bigger than the one he was at. They're seeing people get saved every week. God changed his heart when he started telling people about Jesus. Now look at me. It's not just for preachers. I guess I should have a mask on if I run around y'all. I'm sorry, excuse me. Get back over here. I'm serious. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'm so used to doing that. Please forgive me. God wants you to share the gospel. Why wouldn't you share the gospel? If you find treasure, shouldn't you share that with other people that don't have it? If you find something that nourishes your soul, shouldn't that you share that with somebody else? Who cares about anything else, really? I mean, isn't this the most important thing on earth? More important than our families, more important than our jobs or anything else? Shouldn't we be telling people about Jesus so the win is not somebody getting saved. The win is when I share the gospel. Because eventually, that seed's going to hit that good soil. And I, I've had people cuss me out. You say, no. Oh, yeah. I've had them give me the national high sign. I won't show it to you. <laughs> I've been laughed at. So what? Bottom line is, the greatest time in my life is not just preaching, but it's when I see one person that I share the gospel with get saved. Oh, look at me. God can use you. Just get out there and start loving people enough that you open your mouth. You can't serve Jesus with a zipped lip. You got to open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. Amen?